Welcome to This Week in the Word. This is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of this podcast, and we're in a series that we're calling Walking with Christ Through the Gospel of Mark. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark. That's in the second half of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's the second gospel or the second book in the New Testament. So when you find Matthew, the next book will be Mark. The Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go to chapter 3. Many years ago, I preached a sermon series called Universal Savior. And it was talking about the fact that Jesus Christ has come to save everyone who will turn to him in faith. And there's no one that comes to him that he will turn away. In Mark chapter 3, we see examples of rightly responding to Jesus Christ. We see people who respond incorrectly and people who respond correctly. And I want you, my friend, listener to This Week in the Word, I want you to respond properly and correctly to Jesus Christ for who He really is, your Savior and your Lord. Let's go to Mark 3. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. Now this is an amazing thing. As we've seen so often, it was the common habit of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry to go to synagogue services. So for people who today say, well, I don't believe you have to go to church to be a Christian. I don't even want to get into that argument. I'm just going to point you to the fact that Jesus Christ himself attended worship services on a regular basis on the Jewish Sabbath. So let's get rid of that idea. If you are a Christian, you, of course, will want to be with other Christians for worship. But Jesus enters again, it says in verse 1, Mark 3, into the synagogue. And this is the same synagogue where he was in before, where one of the members of that synagogue was demonized, and Jesus freed that man from the demonic spirit that controlled him. Now, here was a religious person completely controlled by the enemy, and Jesus set him free. Well, it's the same synagogue that he goes back into, except that something interesting is going on. Now, there's not a guy there who's demonized. Now, there's a man there who had a withered hand. So, whatever the cause of that was, he was unable to use his hand. And I, I use this word because I think it accurately describes the heart of those who set up this encounter. It was a trap. And this, this poor man with this physical condition, with his withered hand, they didn't care about him. He was just bait. He was something to spring a trap on Jesus with. So we see here that it says that the religious leaders, I'm sure everybody in the synagogue, verse 2, and they watched him whether you would heal him on the Sabbath day. And here's the reason they did that, the purpose clause, that they might accuse him. 
they didn't care about this man. They wanted to see if they could get Jesus to heal this man on the Sabbath, thereby, in, in their mind, breaking the Sabbath, so that they would have something to accuse Jesus about. That simply is stunning. All right, verse 3. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. So he calls him to stand in front of everybody. This is not going to be done in secret where it's debatable. He's right there in front of everybody. Everybody can see Jesus. They can see this man that they knew had had this, uh, you know, possibly lifelong or at least long-term condition, this physical condition with his hand. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. Wow. Verse 5, And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. And the Pharisees, now let me stop this right there. What would you do if you saw this miracle? Wouldn't you fall down and worship Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you be so happy for this man who was healed and be believing in Christ. Well, that would be a normal response to Jesus in this setting. But verse 6 says, And the Pharisees, now these were the people who, who really, 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 really believed the Bible. They were the religious conservatives of Jesus' day. And um, that that wasn't bad. But notice here that they were more wrapped up in their religious rules that they had made up than um, in God actually being right in front of them. (laughs) And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Amazing. God is in front of them. He's proving it. And they say, we've got to get rid of him. He's a threat to everything we stand for. Just crazy. It's, it's mental insanity. It's what I might call Jesus derangement syndrome. They Every time Jesus speaks and does something good, it just drives them crazier and crazier because they're not seeking Christ. They, they hate Christ. So notice that these religious conservatives who believe the Bible, they go out and they have no problem now joining forces with the Herodians. These were the people in the the circle and rim of Herod the king, the non-Jewish king, which had been installed over over Israel. Um, And so they team up with them, even though those people didn't believe anything they believed, pretty much. So it's sort of like uh, church and state both get together here to destroy Jesus. Verse 7, But Jesus withdrew himself, with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. 
and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, this would be what we know of as Edom, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon. This would have been on the coast of the Mediterranean, a long, you know, pretty good ways away, a foreign country. A great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. Now that is a right response to Jesus. When you see who he is, hear what he says, and see what he does, the only right response is to bow in worship to Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. So all of these people are seeking him, and he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. And to get the picture of what's going on here, he's completely engulfed in a crowd of people. And, you know, there, there's a right way to do things. There's decorum and the proper way to do things. And then there's just like chaos. And Jesus is, is determined that his ministry will be conducted, you know, without chaos. It will be conducted in a way that brings glory to God as Father and brings people to himself as Savior. So he tells the disciples, you know, um, what I believe at least four of them were fishermen, so they had access to boats. So he says, hey, get a boat, put it out a little ways, and uh, that way he would have a way to get, you know, out of that crowd should it become completely uncontrollable. Verse 10, for he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, these are, these are demons now, and unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. You know, they don't get the privilege of witnessing for Jesus. Only saved people do. So they're not allowed to do that. But even they admit that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. So this immense crowd from Israel and other countries around Israel are thronging Jesus. And so um, after he after he frees people from demon possession and people were healed merely by touching him, wow. He leaves that crowd and goes to other people who need him. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen video footage of crowds in third world countries, especially countries in uh, parts of Africa and uh, even in the Middle East, which this is where this was, and um, India, for example. But uh, if you're American, we Americans kind of have an unspoken rule where we have a a zone around us it's about three feet you know don't get in my space and we all we all just kind of know that from growing up so if you get too close to somebody uh, they become uncomfortable well that doesn't exist that way in many parts of the world and so that 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 zone is much smaller so they're just crowding jesus and um, anyway when he's done what he needs to do now he goes in a new direction Look at verse um, 13. 
And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. So you'll notice so often in the Gospels that immense crowds are around Jesus. Jesus is so attractive to people that can be healed by him, fed by him, but he wants them to be saved by him. So he cuts off that episode going on there, and he goes up into a mountain. And it's a funny thing about going up into a mountain. It takes effort, and the crowds kind of play it safe and take it easy, and they're not going to make that effort. And Jesus didn't want all of them to come up with him anyway. He only called the twelve. So the twelve go into this mountain with him, and uh, let's see what happens here. So by the way, there's a little lesson there. If you want to, uh, if you want to do greater things, you have to go up. You have to give up to go up. And there may be a ministry you have right now that God says, lay that aside. I want you to do something else. You're going to go to a higher level. You won't be able to do that anymore. I have something new for you to do. And so the disciples find out what's going on here. Verse 14, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Now, it's a great principle there. Before, When people get saved, um, sometimes you hear people coming to Christ and, you know, like the next week they're a preacher or a pastor somewhere. I'm not going to say that can never be God's will, but I will say this, that even right here before Jesus sends these 12 out and then later sends out 70, you know, all of these two by two, before he sends them out, he, he invests in them so that they have a relationship with him and they have a story to tell. Then they can go out and perform that ministry. So, and he ordained 12, verse 14, that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons or devils, rather, which are demons. And Simon, he surnamed Peter. Now, by the way, in this list of the disciples, you see that Simon, his word, I'm told, means unstable, his name, but the Lord names him Peter, the rock. <laughs> you know, sort of the chip off, off the big rock, Jesus. But he's like the little rock. And in every listing of the disciples where they're listed all by name, Peter is always mentioned first. Judas Iscariot is always mentioned last as the one who betrayed him. One of the greatest message series I ever did was on a Wednesday night, I, I think it was, and we studied the apostles and their ministries and what happened to them. With the exception of John, who died a natural death on the Isle of Patmos, with the exception of John, every one of these men that we read here, that we're going to read, their names, all died martyrs' deaths. And according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, even John the Apostle was boiled in oil to kill him, but it didn't kill him because God had something for him to do, mainly write 
uh, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So his work wasn't done, so he couldn't die. Uh, so that's why they banned him, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, to the Isle of Patmos, the Roman Empire did. All right, anyway, here's the 12. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. They were they had pretty short fuses, we think. <laughs> they got they got mad on behalf of Jesus uh, at least one time that I can think of. Verse eighteen, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. So he calls them up into the mountain, commissions them. Now, you know, the religious authorities were angry with Jesus because he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, preaching that he himself was the Christ, and um, he was healing the sick and casting out demons, and um, we will see that uh, um, Jesus raises the dead. You know, we see that in the Gospels. So all of this is going on, and they're telling Jesus, you know, we're against you. You've got to stop. This is not right. Jesus doubles down right here. And now there are 12 sent out with the same message about Jesus so from the standpoint of the opposition of the religious authorities, it went from bad to worse. Now there's, now there's six teams of two going out doing what only Jesus was doing. And the name of Christ is exalted and glorified and expanded, and even more people come to Christ. So look in verse 20. And the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. I mean, this was starting to become crazy. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. Now, this is a great couple of verses here. Verse 20. Sometimes the picture of Jesus that is given is that, that he is um, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, which, of course, of course according to the prophets, he is. That is true, but as we mentioned in the last episode, publicans and sinners enjoyed being around Jesus. He never lowered his standards, but they they liked Jesus Christ. Um, they enjoyed listening to his parables and stories and sayings. Well, Jesus had friends. Wow. What I'm saying is, if your version of the Christian life repels everybody, do a reset and let Jesus be Jesus through you, and you will be more attractive to people who need to know him also. They will want to associate with you and be your friends. And uh, But anyway, the friends of Jesus come and they just say, he's, he's lost it. This has gone to his head. We've got to rescue him. You remember, he's, he's being thronged by crowds. That I guess they're afraid they could crush him. And so what we see here is that Jesus not only dealt with 
fanatical opposition from the religious leaders, um, but uh, you know, from the in the synagogue, and then we'll see here in just a minute from the scribes um, who associated at the synagogue, but also from Jerusalem and so forth. But he also was responded to with friendly concern. You know, sometimes your friends are well-meaning, but they can, if you're not careful, they can lead you from the path you should be on because they don't understand. And these friends did not completely understand who Jesus is. So friendly concern could have taken Christ off of his path. And here in a moment, a few moments, we'll see that even family ties can do that as well. But let's see what happens here. Verse 22, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. So so their explanation for all of this is, uh, you know, Satan's using him. Um, Satan's using him to cast out demons. So, you know, don't trust Jesus. And Jesus Jesus just turns this ridiculous way of looking at reality on its head when he says to them at 23, I kind of have a picture that he calls a timeout here. And he called them unto him. Who's that? The scribes. He called them unto him and said unto them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. In other words, he's exposing how ridiculous their logic is. Verse 27. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, that is, like, free people from demon possession, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. He just uses a simple illustration um, that you couldn't go into somebody's house and take what they had unless you were more powerful than that strong man. Jesus is saying, Satan's not doing this through me. I'm more powerful than Satan. I've overcome him. I'm God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme, that is to speak evil of God. Verse 29. Pay attention to this, friends. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Whoa. Verse 30, Because they said, He hath an unclean spirit. Wow. Now, if you're worried that you've ever committed the unforgivable or unpardonable sin, and you're worried about that, You haven't, or you wouldn't be worried about it. So don't worry about that. This is when, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? It is to bear witness to Jesus Christ that he is God 
He is Lord and Savior, and people should repent of sin and trust Christ for their eternal salvation. If people fight against the Holy Spirit and speak evil of His witness and of His works, attesting to Jesus Christ, they are signing their own eternal death warrant. And it's like these people, whatever was motivating them, it's like these people are, are doing a, a full, all-out sprint toward a cliff. And Jesus says, you better be careful or you're going to go right over to the edge into the pit of hell. Wow. Well, Brother Ed, what should I do? You should trust Christ today. The Holy Spirit is telling you to do that. And you've never done that. You need to bow your knees right now on your head, wherever you are. Confess to the Lord that you not only committed sins, but you are in fact at heart a sinner in rebellion against God. Trust what Christ did on the cross, paying the full price for your sin. He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day, ascended to heaven, and he's coming again. That Jesus you need to turn your life over to. Verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, calling him. Now that little phrase, standing without. You know where um, uh, James, his brother, and his other brothers, and his sisters, yes, Jesus had uh, essentially stepbrothers and stepsisters. Their, uh, Mary was their mother, and Joseph was their father. Jesus' father, of course, was his father, God. But nevertheless, they were his brothers and sisters, and obviously Mary was his mother. Where should they have been? They should have been in the house with the disciples worshiping Jesus. But notice that they stand without. They're not with them. They did not yet believe in Jesus Christ. Say, but, but Mary bore the Lord Jesus. I know. Even Blessed Mary had to give her life to Christ, believe in him and trust him as her Savior. And so did his brothers and sisters, which, which they did later. But these are family ties, and family ties are good, but don't let them get in the way of God. Amen? And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever will do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Amen. The Lord Jesus here is careful not to let family ties get in the way of God. So, what's your excuse today? Is it religious opposition? Is it um, friendly friendly uh, counsel leading you away from Christ? Is it family ties? None of those amount to anything. And if you are not saved today, Cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior and Lord. 
Well, we've concluded Mark 3, and our next episode will go to Mark chapter 4. Thank you for listening. Invite other people to listen free as well, and they can go to www.dredhill.podbean.com. And remember that 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 DR part for doctor does not have a period after it. It's just D-R-E-D-H-I-L-L dot podbean dot com. Thanks for listening. God bless. We'll see you on the next one.